So I wanted to address this topic of angels and authority, God's purpose for the church in instructing the angelic realm. Now we know that God is the creator and we are his creation. As such, we should recognize we are under his authority for him to use us as he determines for his purposes. But besides humans, God has also created intelligent spirit beings that he communicates with and employs to accomplish his purposes. These spirit beings are called angels. So what do angels have to do with gender roles in the church? Why is it important to bring them into this discussion? Angels include both unfallen angels and fallen angels who are also known as demons. Often in discussions about angels, we concern ourselves with the impact that they have on us, particularly demons and their leader, Satan. We see this in Ephesians chapter six, and as well as other places. And this is good and a profitable discussion. However, we do not often discuss for what purposes God uses us as the church to impact the angelic realm, both angels and demons. So an aspect of this discussion on gender roles in the church is found in Ephesians chapter three, and I would like to read these verses. Uh, first of all, chapter three, verses one through uh, seven, and then 10 and 11. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if you indeed have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge into the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And then verses 10 and 11, and here's the purpose statement, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian church a beautiful letter teaching them so much about the truth of who the church is. He describes the concept of the church as having been a mystery in the ages before Christ's resurrection. But what is God's purpose for the church? And part of that purpose is to make known God's manifold wisdom to the angelic realm. What is the definition of manifold? It's by Miriam Webster, it say it's, they say that it's marked by diversity or variety. God's wisdom has many facets to it. And one of these facets that God wants to communicate through the church to the angels and demons has to do with authority. Angels struggle with authority. And I wanna read two passages. Now, one first in Ezekiel 28, verses 14 and 15. 
You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. And then in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer and the angels that followed him had a problem with God's authority. They were created perfect and holy without iniquity, but at some point, likely between the uh, day seven of creation and the temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden, Lucifer was found to have iniquity within. He said in his heart, I will be like the Most High. So turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 3 through 12, I want to highlight a, this passage and a very important part in it. So reading there, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved. Let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man comes through woman, but all things are from God. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians for a number of stated reasons. He was in Ephesus at the time that visitors came from Corinth and gave a report to Paul of how things were going in the church back in Corinth. Mostly, it was not a good report. And Paul starts his letter by addressing things that the Corinthians were just wrong about. These include divisions, sexual immorality, lawsuits. Then in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul begins to answer questions that the Corinthians had posed written in a letter sent to him by the visitors to Ephesus. He continues to address these questions until chapter 11, verse 17, where he shifts his focus to the purpose and the proper behavior of what he calls the gathering. But in this second section, the last question that Paul addresses is this second, in this second section is regarding head coverings. Should women wear head coverings? Should men wear, cover their heads? In answering the question, Paul states foundational truths that address the issue. These truths address authority and headship and the reasons for them. 
Christ is the head of every man and the woman, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Man is the image and glory of God, and therefore should not cover his head. Woman is also the image of God as is established in the first chapter of the Bible. But she is the glory of man. This is emphasized by the creation order of man, not from woman, but woman from man. Man was not created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Then Paul makes this remarkable statement that the woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Everyone in proper relationship, God, Christ, man, woman, instructs the angels of God's wisdom. Much has been said about, and much should be said about proper authority. One key aspect of that discussion should be what God is communicating to the angels through the church functioning as God designed regarding authority. I want to take a look at a couple other passages in regards to authority. All authority has been given to me is what Jesus said in Matthew 28:18, And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. After the man, Jesus, completely accomplished all that the Father had purposed for him by being obedient, even unto the death on the cross, he was given all authority by God in heaven he was given all authority by God in heaven and on earth. That authority is complete and over every angelic being and every human being and indeed over all of creation. Complete authority can only be held by one person. Otherwise, it is shared or subordinate authority. Only Jesus has all authority. No one else has it. From his complete authority, Christ delegates partial authority to different ones for a time. The authority the man has toward the woman is partial and for a time. While here on earth, men and women of the church are placed in the church as the Holy Spirit sees fit, and this includes gender as well as spiritual gifts. But gender is for a time, as Jesus explains to the Sadducees in Matthew 22. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of heaven, of God, angels of God in heaven. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead, and Jesus disputes their claim and their example by stating the overarching truth that in the re resurrection there is no marriage but we will be sexless as the angels are. The authority of man to the woman will end in the resurrection. However, in the re resurrection, there will be a marriage that will last forever in eternity, the marriage of the lamb to his bride. And we read in Revelation 19, verses seven to eight, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. For all eternity, the saints, the church, both men and women will be the bride of Christ. We will all be in the role of the wife to our husband who is our head. Before the resurrection, we who are alive in the church 
are to live out this image of Christ and his church as an instruction God uses to the angels and demons. So, in summary, we should be aware of God's intent to use us as the church to instruct the angels and demons regarding authority. As we live out this life, biblical authority, as we live out in this life, biblical authority, God demonstrates a facet of his manifold wisdom to the angelic realm. This is one reason why we should accurately understand the roles within the church as we walk accordingly.